Remember the first time you saw a race car on an open trailer? Maybe it was full of dirt, tire marks, and other battle scars. You wondered where it had been, and more importantly, where it was going next. Every open trailer has a story, and we're here to tell it. Welcome to the Open Trailer Podcast. This time out on the Open Trailer Podcast, we completely switch gears. For the most part, we document those who built the sport and honor some of the forefathers of what we enjoy today. But that's not all we do. It's just as important to document those who are performing present day. And Wyndham's Derek Nealon, it's hard to believe he's been at it in big-time NASCAR for well over 10 years. You may know him as Tyler Reddick's spotter in the Cup Series, but how did he get there? Well, over the next two episodes, we find out. The next two shows coincide with Speed Weeks, Daytona 500 this Sunday, and the road course the following Sunday. So we'll take a detour into a present-day performer's story. This time out, Derek starts from the very beginning. Talks about being a kid in Wyndham, wanting to be a race car driver, his family's history in racing, the sacrifices he made to move down south, getting the first big job, and then, well, getting a bigger job. And then a bigger job. Plus, some advice for those who may want to follow his path. Derek is big into giving back to the local racing community. And that's what this podcast does. We benefit Maine Vintage Race Car Association, preserving the history of racing in the state of Maine. Please support us. Cannot beat this drum enough. For less than $2 a month, you can become a member of Maine Vintage Race Car Association. Family memberships are $25 a year. And you can buy multi-year memberships as well. Heck, you want to be a lifetime member? We can make that happen as well. Hit up MainVintageRace.org. That's MainVintageRace.org for all the details. Right on. Let's get into stage one of Big Neil. I think a lot of people, especially our listeners here in Maine, uh, know what you've achieved. What I'm interested in is telling the story on why you even wanted to get there in the first place and where the roots were laid down. Because everybody knows you're a kid from Wyndham, but how does that kid from Wyndham, we're taping this in December, but it's going to air likely in February, right around Speed Weeks, uh, which you're going to be working with Tyler Reddick again. Uh, who is a great plate racer. You guys have won plate races. I remember watching that race, and a lot of the stuff that I see you do is such a, I, I feel like a lot of pride watching that. And I think a lot of people in, in Maine and New England do when someone who's so genuine about being a Mainer uh, goes out and achieves the things that you do. But I remember watching that race, and I, and I remember some of the moves that I know that are associated. I'm like, nope, the driver didn't make that move. That's a, that's a spotter move. It was very cool. I think the coolest part about winning... I mean, first off, it was our first win together in Xfinity uh, at RCR um, total. I mean, we went on to win, I think it was six or seven races last year with winning the championship, and that happened to be our first win. So to get the first one at Talladega was was really cool, and I think the coolest part about that uh, race was... Uh, the next day, everybody sending me little clips and audio and stuff of uh, of all people. Kevin Harvick 
uh, hyping me up so much in, in the studio talking about uh, how wonderful Tyler and I did working together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just thought that was... Uh, that was really neat to you know one of the best that's going to ever do it uh will end up being a you know nascar hall of famer uh, was was talking so highly of the job that you know tyler and i did together so that was really cool that wasn't even your main gig right that was you were still working with the 42 team at that point correct so i was at chip ganassi racing i want to say it was for seven years first year i did with uh juan pablo montoya mm. uh, which was the last season he ever ran so that was cool to be able to have my first real big break in in cup uh to work with him and then the next six years i had with with kyle and um unfortunately last year at the beginning of the year i think it was in january uh is when ganassi had to shut down their xfinity program which ross chastain was supposed to drive and i was going to be spotting for that car in the matter of a, a day um you know when they said they were shutting the team down uh tyler and randall uh randall's the crew chief uh, and he's still the crew chief with us now on the cup side uh he called and tyler called and asked if i would be available well obviously i'm just hearing about it so of course i'm available i just didn't really know what was going on mm. so long story short we ended up uh putting everything together by the end of the day and you know we went on to win the championship last year and just a really cool story to to go from possibly not having an xfinity gig last year to having an xfinity gig and then finishing out my seven years with ganassi and moving on to rcr at the end of uh race season last year so when you won that championship how much of a of a team championship is that did you go to the to the banquet do you sit at the table like so i was supposed to go to the banquet uh but my grandmother was turning 80 last year um and she was actually not in very good health uh at that point last year um so I made a personal decision to stay and go to her surprise 80th birthday party rather than go to North Carolina and celebrate the championship uh, with my team. Um, obviously, they were really bummed out, but they understood. Um, but it it was uh, very rewarding when she walked into the place and she saw me and she uh, started crying. She gave me a hug and she goes, what are you doing here? You're supposed to be down there. And I said, I'm right where I need to be. It's more important. So. That doesn't surprise me at all. With a lot of people, it would, but you, not so much. And I think it has to do with the roots that you and your family laid down in Southern Maine long before all this other big stuff happened. So let's let's talk about that. Uh, our paths crossed in, what, 1990? 1996, I mean? Yeah, I think we were just talking about that at lunch. Uh, yeah, I want to say it was... I mean, that's when I started racing go-karts was 1996, and uh, and you were announcing then for uh, SMKI. So I know it's somewhere around there, and I would have been only... Heck, I was only 10 or 11 years old at the time. What made you want to start racing go-karts? Uh, so... My grandfather, Bud Sawyer, not the radio Bud Sawyer, which you and I talked about as well, Mm. um, but the other Bud Sawyer, um, he raced uh, the 80 bomber, I believe it was the bomber class, Uh, I can't remember what year it was, Uh, and then when he got done, he actually became the general manager for Ralph Cusack and the Cusack family at Beechridge Motor Speedway um, when it was clay, or dirt, however you want to say it. And uh, so he graded the track. He was a general manager, all that. Uh, my mother actually worked at the concession stands along with the rest of the family um, growing up there at Beechridge. And then my dad raced at Beechridge in 1971 in the Bomber B class, I want to I wanna say it was. I never knew that he was a competitor. 
So he ran one year. One year. Yes. Did he do well or? Uh, So he won one heat race and he said he was about to win a feature one night. They all are. Well, so the story's great. (laughs) And and, uh, you and I actually were talking about Dick Walsh and Hume earlier. And it actually had to do with Dick Walsh and Hume. Dad was going into turn three. I think it was like last lap or a couple laps to go. And Dick just absolutely sent him out over the hill in turn three. And and, uh, he didn't finish the race. And they ended up having a laugh or a chuckle about it um, after after the race. And especially years down the road, Dad got exactly why he he did it. But um, so yeah, back onto that. Dad raced to Beechridge, um, so obviously racing was in the blood. Um, my dad worked um, with the Babs um, for years at Beechridge, so uh, obviously me, my mother, and uh, other families and stuff, my cousins and and aunts and uncles, we'd all go to Beechridge and we would watch, you know, Wayne Poland and, and the Babs, the team that my dad was on. And then as soon as I got old enough to get into carts, we started started racing anybody that's seen your social media the last few years knows that you're number 90 uh, but you started off with a different number you were number four when you started yeah so uh bob babb uh the old man bob babb senior he obviously grew up racing at beechridge as well and uh my dad lives or my parents live just down the street from them um they actually live between um bobby and big bob and uh they just they grew up together at Beechridge. My dad obviously was really good friends with Bob all of his life. Um, and then when it came time for you know me to run, uh, at that time I didn't even I still didn't know that my dad had ran. Wow. Um, and you know my dad was helping on uh, Bobby's car. So the the diamond four the four number was was kind of uh, the go to the wood uh, chopper number the wood yeah. chopper number. Yeah. So we ended up going to that. Um, you know and had a lot of good success with go karts and right up through until. Uh, lightning bugs and sports series cars. Do you remember the first time that you went to the races, live races? I want to say it was only uh, a couple months old. I went to Beechridge for the first time with my little red earmuffs. What is your first racing memory? You know, it, it's not a good memory, but I think two jump out. Uh, obviously, we were both a long time ago, and I know mm-hmm. you'll remember. Uh, but for some reason, and his name still sticks in my head to this day, is uh, Steve Howard absolutely pounded the backstretch fence one day and i mean we all thought it it killed him i mean he just it hurt. i know it messed him up really bad and he lived just down the street from beatrice oh yeah and i just remember him absolutely destroying i think it was oh three was his yeah. number i called that race he called that race mm-hmm. and then i'd say the other one would be when uh dodo brockman <laughs> hit the pace car on the front stretch dodo uh, <laughs> who is uh you know a huge part of what we do with main vintage race car association which this podcast directly benefits one of the coolest cars out there one of the coolest guys out there absolutely i want a fraction of Dodo's personality. But for those who have never heard that story, and we got to have Dodo on this podcast at some point to tell this story, but the Reader's Digest version is uh, Dodo was out there racing up behind the pace car, and uh, of course it's golden anniversary, 50th anniversary, beautiful pace car. Dodo just drives right through it. Yep. <laughs> it was unbelievable. I, mean, I can't remember what happened. They came off a four and him and another car had contact. Yeah. And he nosed it into the front stretch wall. Well, it pushed it, – like, the car really wasn't all that messed up, but the hood had gotten pushed up so hard. And obviously, he was like any other driver. He's ticked off. He backs it up around the chip, yeah. puts it in gear, and here comes the pace car. He doesn't see it. He comes up over the, the little knoll there and just absolutely clobbers it dead center. It's just unbelievable. But, yeah, those two memories are probably the two – for some reason, two hmm. biggest that, that pop out into my mind. How, how did you do in go-karts? Go-karts, obviously, have, for me, have probably gone uh, the best. I think my first year, 
Um, I had a couple top threes. It was we started like mid season in 1996, I want to say, mm. and then after that we started winning a bunch of races. 97, 98. Um, I even remember the day May 15th, 1998 was my best race ever in go karts. I uh, won three out of my four races. Did and you ever the, race anywhere else besides Beechridge? Yep. So I was actually just going to touch on that, yeah. and then um. After got done racing cage carts at Beechridge, I went to Richmond for two seasons, and uh, Richmond Speedway in Richmond, Maine. In Maine, yeah. and uh, I won um, the Briggs Medium uh, Flat Cart Championship there. Uh, Sugar Hill Speedway is probably my favorite track I've ever raced in go kart. So God, I miss that place. It was so awesome. Yeah. Like yeah. now, where were you in school at this point? Uh, you a sophomore or so? What was it? I, so I moved up into Lightning Bugs, which obviously is a front-wheel drive, four-cylinder car. So, But, hey, it's still a car, right? Like telling it, you, Lightning Bugs were the precursor to when they put underglow on those NASCAR Cup Series cars <laughs> this year. It's, I need to find a picture now, yeah, right. so we can match them back up. I think uh, so. But you do okay in that. Yeah, right. so I did okay in that. Won a few races. I was racing with uh, you know Frank Collins and uh, Bill Dagnese and uh, uh, Betty... Nelson. Betty Nelson. Like, I was yeah. racing some, like, White. Laura McKeg. Yeah. Like, I was racing with some, like, heavy hitters at the time, and I just turned 15. Did that, only did that for a season, and then we moved up. I think we bought Joe Hennessy, uh sports series car. Raced that for two seasons, had several heat race wins. I think only one or two feature wins. What was it like to get that first heat win? Oh, it was it was awesome. I did it the the rookie season, so that was even cooler. Just to think, you know, I was able to. I mean, that was back too when Beechridge had, I think, thirty plus cars. I remember there was two weeks my rookie season that they actually sent cars home, and that was back when Ed Glant was still running, mm. and I was just some of the smiling big, Ed, smiling Ed, some of these big legendary names. So it was it was really cool. Some of the guys that I did get to race with um, did you ever race wait a minute i think this would be amazing if your if your driving career crossed with gene terrio's i did race with gene terrio yeah Uh, and he had been racing 40 years by that point yep uh 81 41 41 okay yeah Yeah. no I, i remember that he had a he had a business right there in, in Westbrook, right? Like cool guy. Big Moose Harley Davidson, yeah. right? Really cool guy. Yeah. No, I raced with Gene. That would have been only just, I think, my rookie season. I don't mm. think he was my second year. But. So you go to so you win a heat race, and then you go into school on Monday. What's that like? Are you just 10 feet tall and bulletproof at this point? Do you, are, are, the peop, <laughs> are people noticing you more? Uh, so I was obviously like the class clown a little bit in school. Um, and every week, every Monday, like you're saying, that would go in. The teacher would kind of let let me have Derek time to start off the class for like two You had minutes. your own show? Yeah, so they'd be wow. like, all right, hey, Derek, you know, how'd your weekend go? So I'd have to fill him in on the play-by-play. You finally get a, a couple of feature wins. Everybody has a story about their first win. Tell me about the last couple of laps before you get that first win. So I remember I started outside pole, led the whole thing, and of course we get a caution with like six to go. So you know, here I am, 16 years old, Nervous, like I'm gonna screw this guy up. I'm gonna miss a shift, whatever. Uh, nailed it. Got out there, but then I see, you know, Donnie Morse, who was my chassis builder on the car, and um, Andy Field, and I think it was Clyde or Rob Her- Clyde Hennessy or Rob Herrick. I think so. Whatever. Two stalwarts of this division. Yeah, nice. I could see. I'll see him right there, and then of course Beaver Norton, another yeah. legend of the limiteds. He's right there in fifth. So uh, 
I'm just glad that it was only a few laps and I had to hit my marks for, but it was it was really cool. I mean, there's nothing like getting your first win, especially when you're when you're a kid. I mean, obviously it means a lot to somebody that comes into racing later on in life, but hmm. uh, when you when you're that young and and you're able to beat some of those heavy hitters, it's really neat. Do you remember the roar of the crowd when you get out of the car? I don't think I could hear him over how loud I was screaming just yes. for myself when uh, wow. Eddie Walsh Funk. handed me the the yeah. checkered flag. That was awesome. Who was in your victory lane photo? Mom. Uh, my sister, Tasha. I think Rusty, my cousin Rusty Poland, was in the photo. Mm. Well, I bring that up, that that very first win, and it's um, you know such a moment for, for many racers. Yeah. And usually whoever's in that first photo are people that are going to be in your life for a long time. They're like your core supporters and your core life supporters. And even at that point at 16, I mean, your mom's there, your sister's there, and Rusty Poland's there, people that you still have close relationships with today. Still true now, yeah. Mm. I mean, so obviously, you know, my mom and dad, I have a great relationship with them. And if I don't, you know, talk or see them at least a couple times a week, then it's it's a, it's a bad week. Mm. Um, you know, talk to my sister all the time. And then uh, Rusty and I, uh, now we, we split a race shop. Uh, together where we keep both of our super late models along with uh, Charlie Sanborn keeps his sports series car there. So you're a winning sports series driver at 16 and obviously full of bravado. You have your own segment in class. (laughs) Do you think you're going to parlay this into a driving career? Do you want to go big time NASCAR? Has that entered your head at all? So I did at that point. You um, thought you were going to be a NASCAR champion? Well, I wanted to be, yes, but that was probably... When did you think I could do this professionally? Probably at the end of my go-kart career, which is like really? 14. I was like, man, I've won a lot of races. Like, I, I still have a lot of the trophies. Like, I've kept yeah. a lot of the trophies. I'm the man. And, like, I know now when somebody sees me race, they're like, right. man, that, that guy stinks. He can't, he, can't, <laughs> he can't drive a lick, right? right. When I got into the, to the four-cylinder front-wheel drive cars, and I was starting to get older, a little bit more knowledgeable about the stuff, and like, really watching how tough it is with NASCAR and stuff, you know, that part kind of went away. Um, that just because you can't make it as the top NASCAR driver or whatever it is doesn't mean that you still can't enjoy the racing that you do get to do. And then what did you do? So uh, the last half of the 05 season, a buddy that I grew up racing go-karts with, Corey Williams, who is now one of the head fabricators down at uh, Hendrick Motorsports, uh, he was racing the past super late model tour uh, up north. And he needed a spotter so i started spotting for him some when i wasn't racing uh at beechridge in the sports series so how did that start i mean did you i mean you knew what a spotter was yes but why were you chosen for that job that's a good question i think honestly if if i asked Corey or or ask dan it would probably be just because they were always the little team that could it would always just be that 47 car was on it yeah it would just always be Corey and dan and maybe like one or two other guys but not full-time other guys. So I started going with them a lot, especially once they were racing either, you know, Sundays or whatever it was cuz I'd already raced on on Saturday. So I came it was White Mountain. I remember my first time ever spotting. It was at White Mountain. Wow. And uh it was practice. He was through the first practice and something happened. I can't remember what it was and it doesn't really matter, but for the second practice he's like, "Hey, I I need you I need you to spot. Can you spot?" And I'm like, "Oh god." <laughs> you know, like, I haven't done this. So I end up spotting, and I end up spotting the race. Do you know what a spotter's supposed to do at this point? At that point, not really. I mean, I had listened, right? But everybody thinks that they can spot until they actually put the headset on, and you get put in the predicaments that you get put into. 
I didn't do a great job at all. I remember saying at one point a guy was going to the inside of Corey, and I said inside. Just kidding, he's not there. Like I've ever said, like the stupidest stuff. And then, like you know, obviously you just get more and more comfortable. Um, and then when we got to the end of the '05 season, that's when you know it got to the point to where you know my family and I we didn't own a own a company. Um, we didn't you know have big financial backing, and obviously racing is expensive, and it was getting more expensive at that point. So instead of drowning my parents and and all this money cost uh we decided to cut the cord on it and i started spotting for uh so i got done racing in 05 and sold all of our stuff and i started spotting for Corey full-time on the past north tour uh that next season in 06 and about halfway through the year i was like man i there's nothing holding me back here like I, i need to change i need to try something different I knew Warren Hamilton from from Beechridge, and uh, he was living down in North Carolina. Got a hold of him and said, hey, you know, I'm just trying to find a job. I want an opportunity to still work. I wanted to be in racing, and I knew that I wasn't going to make it as a driver at that point. Um, But I wanted to do something in racing, and I knew being in North Carolina could get that much closer to it. And it just happened to work out. Everything just fell the right way for me at that time. And they just lost a... Uh, an employee, and they needed um, they needed another guy to fill the spot. at At the time, it was Corporate Image that Frank Bolter owned. Uh, got a hold of Warren. Uh, they they paid for my flight. They flew me down, and it was a very quick process. Like I thought about this, and got a hold of him a couple days later. And then a couple days later, I was in North Carolina. I was there for two days. I fly back, and they call me up, and they say, yep, can you be here in two weeks? So I got done my job here in Portland. What were you doing? And I was working at Horizon Solutions. It was an electrical supply company. Are you an electrician? No. No? No, it was just a, it was a supply company. So I was working wow. in the warehouse as uh, on the receiving side, just shipments coming in and out and organizing shelves. And right. Yeah, it was a cool place, cool people, but yeah. it wasn't racing. You know? It wasn't what you wanted to do. Exactly. So you're 19 years old. You're all of a sudden new in North Carolina. What's it like? To you now, it's probably old hat, and it's probably one of the reasons why you don't live down in the in the mid-Atlantic, or as we call the South. Yeah. Uh, but it was complete fast lane for you first right out of the gate. Oh, yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, where Warren worked, a lot of NASCAR drivers would be in and out of there all the time. Both Kurt and Kyle Busch had shops right next door, uh, not their race shops or anything, but just their personal shops where they kept their cars or boats or, hmm. you know, did their business or uh fundraiser stuff out of what was your first moment of like oh my god it's him or her or whoever uh i want to say it was warren and his wife took me to hooters in mooresville and robert yates oh wow came in and sat down right next to us and uh and i'll never forget that moment i'm like holy crap that's the guy with the mustache that that's the yates guy (laughs) you know and, and my favorite driver by the way growing up um, obviously, I wasn't very old when he passed, but was Davey Allison. Hmm. So him having that tie, I just thought it was I just thought it was the coolest thing. I went to his last race. His his last race was the first race at New Hampshire Motor Speedway. Yep, I was there too. And it's amazing to think what he would have accomplished as um, I think as a driver, as an ambassador. He seemed like he had that personality that was going to be the around whole, for yeah. decades. I mean, seeing how much his family's still doing, you know, mm. you would be doing the mm. same. At that point, you're like, this is totally my my speed. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, and and I didn't know. So obviously, I was doing the decal thing down there, and you know, NASCAR drivers coming in all the time, super late mall drivers are coming in all the time. But the cool part about this story was, I didn't know 
I didn't have any plan of getting into spotting, really, when I moved down there. And uh, it happened to be about a month and a half, two months after I moved down, Corey moved down to work at Andy Santer Motorsports. And he brought his, Andy was cool enough to let him bring his super late model stuff down and give him a small space in the shop to be able to work out of. So obviously when Corey came down there, naturally, whenever he raced, I got to go and spot. Where's he racing? Like uh, Caraway, Hickory? So it, he raced like Hickory, South Boston, and uh, we had another buddy of ours, Matt Benjamin, which is Travis Benjamin's uh, cousin. He was working on Brian Scott's car, and uh, he got a hold of us one day at the track, and Brian Scott was racing super late models against us, and we just all became friends and you know would hang out and you know party on the weekend, if that's what you want to call it, whatever, mm. and... Um, I think it was two years after I had met Brian, I was getting to where I was getting pretty restless of living in North Carolina. I just, I needed a change. I wasn't doing quite what I wanted to do. I was kind of missing back home, whatever. Brian called me out of the blue. I I had just loaded my truck up, just loaded up this little U-Haul trailer. My mom flew down. She rode back with me. The next day, Brian calls me and he's like, hey, he's like, did you leave yet? And I was like, yeah, I, I already, you know, I just got back into Maine. He's like, all right, goes, well... I hope you don't have any plans. He goes, I'd like to have you spot for me in the ARCA race at Pocono. Had you spotted for him before? And I had never spotted for Brian. Really? And the biggest track I had ever spotted at at the time was uh, Lakeland, Florida. I'm like, man, I don't know. I'm not your guy. Like, you know, Pocono's two point whatever miles long. I was like, I'm not ready for all that. He goes, no, you're the guy. They buy Then, long story short, they buy my flights, the rental car, the hotel room. They pay me. And uh, we go and do the ARCA race. We end up getting the lead, and then we get wrecked on a restart with Frank Kimmel and a couple other guys. And after that, uh, you know, basically the rest is history, so to speak. I got a call from him and his dad, and they said, we want you to come next week to Nashville to do the ARCA race and uh, do the truck race as well since they're going to be doing a doubleheader. So this was when Brian Scott's family had their own team. Am I right, or am I bef- is this before they – Yeah, so – like, what were they doing at ARCA? Right. So he was running um, with Venturini. Oh, okay. Motorsports yeah. in ARCA. Which means you're going to win the race. <laughs> at right? that time, yes. Yes, they yes. were so good. Uh, and then you got, like, some more cup team stuff. Now it's a little bit more of a challenge, right? Like, mm. with racing, you know, that's how it goes. He was doing just some ARCA races to get his feet wet at some of these tracks before he would run the truck race. And his dad, I think, I think when I came along, they had only run, like, four or five truck races and then... Um, I started doing the rest of them after that point. Let's fast forward to 2009. Uh, a couple of things. Dover. Yeah. Dover, Delaware. It's a Friday afternoon. I can't remember if that was a rainout. We raced Saturday or not. I think it was a Friday, though. Hmm. Truck race. Yep. Uh, big day for you. First big NASCAR series win as a spotter. Uh, Brian ended up winning in his family-owned Express Motorsports number 16 Alverson's Toyota. Saw it on TV. Yep. Thought it was amazing. Pretty excited that uh, my buddy from Wyndham, Derek, is on the team. At that moment, what were you feeling? I mean, just overjoyed. I mean, obviously at the time, I was I was still really young. I think I was only um, 21, I think. Mm. Maybe 22. How did he win that race? Did he just go out and dominate? or No. So we ran in the top three or five pretty much the whole race. Uh, and then a couple of the guys that we probably weren't going to beat, but hey, racing's racing and mm. things happen for a reason. It's not over till it's over. Um, I remember we had a huge issue with uh, tires that year. 
uh, and a couple of the guys that were faster than us blew right fronts. Um, well, it's Dover. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And uh, which Goodyear's come leaps and bounds since then, and you don't see it as much anymore. But, um, you know, a couple of those guys blew right fronts here, hit the wall, or it just messed up the inner crush panels or fenders enough to where they weren't as as fast as what they were before. Um, but I remember we had to hold off Dennis Setzer uh, for the win, and that wow. was just incredible. But I remember as soon as we crossed the line, you know, he's doing his burnout, and I'm so excited. I'm trying to get my, my bag, my radios all together. And uh, for some stupid reason now, I, I mean, look at it now, I'm like, man, what what a fangirl I was, you know? <laughs> but uh, I get down into the elevator to go down so I could go across the go across the track to get to victory lane to the guys and i'm like i'm coming guys i'm, I'm on the elevator i'm coming yeah. i'm coming they're I'm waiting a, for the spotter to this to this day you know brian ended up being my best man in our wedding yes. and i was the best man in his wedding and we're you know we're awesome buddies and to this day when we tell stories he loves telling that story about you know me talking about how i'm in the elevator and i'm coming to victory lane yeah. so what that yeah, was so your what? moment I'm excited. This was, yes. this, that was my time shut up brian we've been doing it this long you know yeah so another thing, I remember something on social media. Yeah. And you can expand on it. Spotting for a legend today. It was the Daytona 500 and Terry Labonte was the driver. Yeah, so uh and even cooler now. So the 32 was owned um by uh Frankie Stoddard. Stoddard, thank yeah. you. And uh just before Archie hit was dipped into it who who now owns the 32 Cup team. Um, and Terry was in it, and I want to say there was somebody else. Uh, oh, and I spotted for uh, Kenny Schrader as well. Cool legends of of NASCAR. Terry, it- we actually I think we're running. I think we run like 17th or something we're right at the end of the 500 and i tell him wrecking in front back it down back it down and he he just drove right into it hmm. and i remember everything dust settled or whatever and i said uh terry all right he's like yeah i'm i'm fine guys sorry about that and i'm like all right uh i gotta ask i go did you not hear me i said i said back it down like three times wrecking in front and he goes no i did he goes these damn brakes suck he goes i had it locked up he goes it just kept going faster i felt like <laughs> Wow. So I'm like, all right, you know, like I didn't want to be the one to ask right. the Iceman, you know, if 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 he didn't hear me or not, because like here I am at the time, you know, 25 or 26 years old, and he's you know 50. I'm just some punk kid to him. But they uh, was awesome. that your first Cup race? First Cup race, I think, was the Daytona 500. Wow! And what is that day like? Uh, insane. I will say, I did get a bunch of practices up to that point. Like I spotted for uh, Dave Blaney at a Homestead practice i spotted for david rudiman at dover i spotted for martin truex at um at new hampshire so i got so i got to spot for some cup guys at some cup level stuff but to your first race to be the 500 and even to this day honestly Mm. you know having done this now for 13 years or whatever it is having two months off and going into the biggest race of the season being the first race of the season i still get nervous a little bit of butterflies or whatever because you know you feel like you're a little bit rusty and then with the whole COVID stuff going on, mm. you don't know if we're going to have practice, so it's that part's a little, a little sketchy. Oh, sorry to answer your question though. Yeah. You said what was my first race? First race Daytona 500, uh, Robbie Gordon. How did that work out? Blew up like 40 laps in. Okay, so you pretty much what? So what? I didn't get enough chance to get yelled at. I've always wanted to know, like, what if uh, there's a wreck on the 10th lap and your car is in it? Do you just leave the track? Are you done for the day? Uh, no. So I mean, obviously. Uh, I was doing Xfinity and trucks and stuff like that still mm-hmm. up until that point. And then, you know, I think that that year, 
the guy that was supposed to spot for him, everything got rained out or whatever. His guy couldn't spot that day or something, so they ended up hiring me to stay after the Xfinity race to spot for him. Um, but no, I, I stayed up there and I scanned other guys. I wanted to listen and learn, see if there's anything different um, that I could do. But then actually right after that race, I started spotting for the 32 uh, for the rest of the year. Uh, and then the following years when I got my big break with uh, going to Chip Ganassi and uh, Juan for the first year. Can that still happen today for somebody? Uh, for for a new spotter that comes in and for someone who's listening that's, you know, around like 18, 19 years old or even older and they, they, they want to be part of the game and they know that experience is going to get them in front of people for a potential big job, but how do you get the experience? I think when I got into it, I got right into probably within the last three years of when everything was really I want to say, quote unquote, big in NASCAR. Like the teams were really big, the money was really big. Fifty something Cup teams, even you know, trying to race for forty three spots, you know, yada yada. Now you're down to you know, forty starting spots in this series, thirty six in this series. Uh, you know, only a couple mechanics only allowed this many people to the track, so it's just gotten harder and harder now. But I mean, like I said, I've been doing this I think now for thirteen years, and I bet I still get uh, probably five or six maybe a little more a year of people that will reach out whether it's through text or facebook messenger whatever it is asking how they can get into spotting and especially if it's somebody mm-hmm. from maine like i want to see people succeed just like i was able and fortunate enough to be able to do and succeed and uh you know just let them know like the first thing they need to do is i need to start their weekly saturday night thing and then they need to try to move up into like a wheel and modified tour or a k&n team which that's even harder now because hmm. most of the teams are are down south so um that's where you kind of need to start and then work your way up That'll do it for stage number one in a story full of sacrifices. In stage number two, we dip back into Derek's driving days in that infamous wreck with Brad Keselowski at the Oxford 250. I was so, so mad. Like I I was like, my buddy flew up here with me. I go, you were already in the race. I go, you weren't even inside of me. And this, that, and the other thing. And he goes, I think the thing that made me the most mad, he's like, which car were you again? I'm like, oh, come on. Oh. You know exactly which car. Stage number two of Derek Nealon, next time out on the Open Trailer Podcast. <laughs>